Hello, and welcome wait, to- Wait, wait, don't start yet. Milo, please. I'm serious. We talked about this. I need to- Milo, People I'll need... tell you what. How about after today's activities, you can get on the intercom and address the campers? Does that sound all right? You promise? I can say what I need to say? I promise. You can say your piece, but please allow me to do my job without interrupting me. Okay. If you promise. Do you trust me? Yes. Now, as I was saying, Hello, and welcome to another beautiful day at Camp ASMR, where everything is designed to help you relax, feel happy, and help you find, recover, or refine your sensitivity to autonomous sensory meridian response. Today, we have a very special seminar on self-inducing tingles. This will be a chance for you to not only hear how other people have induced ASMR in themselves, but to try it out yourself as well. A variety of materials will be available to you, including copper head massagers, feathers, and pencils, not too sharp. This seminar is perfect for all people, but it is especially recommended for anyone who has been told that their experience with ASMR is not normal. Every body, response, and experience is different. This is a good opportunity to remember that. The self-induced tingles demonstrations will be held every four hours today and tomorrow, starting at 10 a.m. More details can be found on the announcement boards. Now, as I am sure you are all aware, our hair play department appears to be short-staffed. The truth of the matter is that hair play appointments, including brushing, styling, and braiding, are so popular that no matter how many staff members we hire or assign to that area, appointment spots fill up almost as soon as registration opens. We recently had a group of campers reach out to staff members with an idea to ease this particular issue. They have requested space to hold a hair play group. While this group is open to anyone, there is a registration form you will need to fill out before you attend. The information will be used to match you with another camper whose interests align with yours, as we want to ensure that everyone feels safe and comfortable. The group will be led by staff members 
and there will be a brief instructional lesson before group members will take turns inducing tingles in each other. Registration forms can be found in various locations around the center complex. Dr. Andrew Michaels has asked that I address some of the rumors that have been circulating around camp. Yes, it is true that there have been Bigfoot sightings in the area. And while it is important to be aware of your surroundings while in the woods, I would like to remind you that we do have trained security staff who are aware of the situation and are more than capable of protecting the campgrounds. Some of you have probably heard that there was a sighting last night of something tall, dark, and mysterious out near the blueberry fields. The camper who came upon the creature did the right thing in alerting staff as soon as possible. However, security was already in the process of escorting the creature out of the grounds. This was a bear, not a Bigfoot. And no, there were no injuries by the animal. In their hurry to get away, the camper turned and ran into a tree. They were treated for minor scrapes and monitored overnight for signs of a concussion. Everyone involved will be just fine. If you have any concerns, it is important to bring them to a member of the staff. We are happy to help you. It is going to be a lovely evening, so don't forget that tonight Dr. Andrew Michaels will be hosting Campfire Stories on the West Beach. You never know what he may have up his sleeve, but it is always entertaining. He would love for you to join him. Stay tuned later for some information from our staff member Milo, and until then, please enjoy your day here at Camp ASMR. Hello and good evening everyone, and welcome to our special campfire edition of Camp ASMR. I have at least three interesting stories to tell you. They're a little spooky. One might be a little scary. And one might be What should we start off with first? Hmm. Maybe we should start off with something that's been prying on all your minds this whole month. A lot of the ladies, some of the men, 
have made comments about the Bigfoot sightings and the Bigfoot incident close to camp. And I know you're upset. And it didn't help today that a black bear was shooed off our property today after he partook of our unsealed garbage cans in the wee hours of the morning. That didn't help at all. But I assure you, in the history of humanity, your one concern is unfounded. There's never been a case of a peeping Tom Sasquatch. But we did have a peeping Tom incident a few years ago at this camp. Mm, and it's not the story you think it is. We had several guests attending one summer who were from a far-off land. They were a little odd and didn't seem to get with the culture of the laid-back American summer lifestyle. They kept to themselves. They ate together. They seemed nice. But the four of them, two men and two women, seemed a little off. The other guests were quite accommodating, and though they didn't speak much, they also didn't cause any disruptions or problems. But they obviously stood out. You couldn't quite put your finger on it. And people just assumed they were unfamiliar with our customs and the United States in general, and they didn't even seem to fit in their clothes very well, like they were picked out for them and not really clothes they were used to wearing. The men were very tall and quite handsome. One was blonde and one was a brunette. And several ladies tried to talk to them, but it was clear they were not interested or that they had, were taken. And some assumed that the two women, a blonde and a brunette, they just assumed they were their wives or partners. They did make dashing couples together. They were very attractive couples. The women were very tall for a lady, maybe 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and their bodies were exquisite. Many of the men were extremely attracted to them, and 
Several men had made over it. Passes at them all were rejected with silence or confusion, leading the men to believe the ladies were spoken for, married, dating the men they came with. And as with all these things, mature people, they get the hint. And after a few days, people just kind of forgot they were even there. We did have one staff member, though, who thought it was his job to spy on them. We always try to hire staff from the local prison outreach program. And we do this to help them reacclimate to a normal lifestyle. You know it's bad when your staff who are in this program are telling you that that person on the staff who wasn't in the program is being difficult with the guests. We hired this young man from the local community and we've never had problems with hiring from the community around us. This young man seemed to be, I don't know, confused. He was allowing strange political and social ideas to enter his thinking, and I guess he assumed there was a spy or a Russian mobster or an alien invader around every corner. He was a good young man. He did his job well, but in his free time... We would catch him staring at these guests, making them uncomfortable. I personally said something to him on two different occasions, but I didn't think it raised to the level of a oral or written reprimand. Looking back, I wish I would have said something, but I didn't. It all came down to one night when there was a rainstorm, similar to the ones that had been rolling into the valleys and hills of southern Ohio like they are right now. The guests all went back after dinner to their rooms to retire, watch TV, schedule events for the next following day, or receive a private ASMR reading or relaxing massage from one of our many masseuse on staff. The scream we heard coming from the cabins was a yell like something I'd never heard before. A blood-curdling scream. 
a young man in terror. The young staff member who had been shadowing our guests was running from their cabin. He was... He was clawing out his own eyes. He was, yes, gouging out his own eyes right before us, falling to his knees like two big melon ballers. He was digging tearing, pulling his own eyes out from within their sockets, screaming blood running down his face. He collapsed on the ground, the pain finally overtaking him. He went into a seizure Luckily, there were several nurses and doctors, not only on our staff, but as guests, who immediately attended to them, to him, while we dialed 911. Myself and two security guards ran back to the side of the cabin that he had come from to see if he was attacked, sprayed with something hurt? Was he pepper sprayed? Was he... What happened? Was he burned? There was nothing there except an open window. Now when I say open, the, the blinds on the window were open to the cabin. There was a screen in the window. And there was a hole in the middle of the screen, like a burned out hole. I immediately ran around to the front of the cabin and knocked on the door. Our strange guests, all four of them, came out. Of the cabin, they were dressed in night clothes and robes. They were definitely incensed, shocked, horrified. One of them spoke up. I had spoken to them before, but on rare occasions they had asked not to be bothered. And I said, I am so sorry for this. And I understand your desire for privacy, but there's been an incident. Could you Please tell me what you know has happened. One of the men spoke up and said that they believe a peeping Tom was looking in their window. One of the ladies, in a panic, threw a corrosive toilet bowl cleanser threw the screen at the man in a moment of panic. 
they presented me with the corrosive drain opener. And I took them for their word. I said, of course, this is an unfortunate accident. I could imagine you being frightened. I'm sure we can sort this all out. But the young man was in great distress and in need of medical care. I hope you understand there will be an investigation. The guests shook their heads and said that they agreed and went back to their rooms. I noticed as they were closing the door that they were packing their bags. I told two of my staff to keep an eye on them, but not to disturb them. Ambulance, responders, emergency responders, and the police arrived soon. We showed the bottle of drain opener to the emergency staff. They said there was no signs of acid on the young man's face. There was some kind of chemical reaction, but whatever it was, it had evaporated off. They treated him as best they could, and he was taken to a hospital. You know, we think about peeping toms and how they frighten the people when they look in the windows. They look in and they giggle and they laugh. They scare the occupants of the home. They give them a terrifying jolt. that sends the person screaming in utter terror. But in this case, an unwanted peeping Tom got more than he was bargaining for. The police took samples from around the screen in the window. Our strange guests left after giving their personal information to the police. The young man did lose his eyes. He had no recollection of the events of that night. I don't know if charges were pressed, but a very large settlement was made to the young man's family. Over the course of a few months, a strange, miraculous event happened. His memory never returned, but his eyes, his eyes healed, and he had his vision again. He had been blind for three months, and one morning he woke up, removed the packages for dressing, from his eyes and found he was not only healed but able to see again his eyes completely healed but his memory still erased in fact 
his memory was so erased. He never remembered working at our camp. What became of the guests? What was sprayed through the window? This corrosive substance that evaporated, that left no trace, that crippled this young man, a life-changing, crippling event, and then, later, he healed? Hmm. I don't know. But I do know one thing, and this is the creepiest part of the story. I asked my guests when they were checking out if they needed a ride back to the airport or to the highway or to the bus depot the next town over. They assured me they had a ride coming and they were going to go out and wait for it at the edge of the drive to the camp. They walked off into the evening dusk and as night settled a strange bright light descended near the road front of our camp, and then ascended just as quickly as it came. Upon investigation, our guests were gone, never to be seen or heard from again. I would now like to tell you the story of the octopus therapist. That's right. The octopus therapist. Evolved octopi with intelligence, the ability to speak, roam this planet of ours. An ancient, evolved, intelligent species of sentient creature, able to talk and communicate, mimic human life, and appear as human to the naked eye. They love to study humanity. They love to interact with us. Even though we choose to eat octopus in some of our diets, they can understand that, being a carnivore themselves, they eat those of their own species and other shellfish. They also, like us, eat sea life, much in the way we eat 
mammals of our own kind. It was never really an issue, but it was a strange thing to realize. Octopus would behave so much like humans when it came to diet and hunger. It's funny we look at them as odd for eating shrimp and small species of octopi and squid, among other sea life, when we are sitting right beside them eating almost the exact same thing, nibbling on some filet mignon, some chicken, some shrimp, and some octopus from the sushi bar. It's always funny when we see something else mimicking us. We find some kind of strange disgust in it, even though we do the exact same thing. And that's how I got the business card for the octopus therapist. I was at a local hibachi restaurant, and I was talking out loud, as you do, and helping one of my friends think about getting therapy, when someone turned and said, you should try an octopus therapist. They are the best. They're phenomenal. You leave so refreshed and reinvigorated every single visit. It's like hyper-treatment for your anxiety. My friend and I both laughed, but we took the card. We thought about it. I actually called my friend and said, You know, remember when we were at the hibachi bar the other day? Hibachi restaurant? And we were talking to that young man about the octopus therapist. Mm -hmm. I said, well, do you happen to have that business card? Because I think I might want to try it just to see. My friend said that they had indeed called the octopus therapist and scheduled an appointment to see if there was chemistry and a good fit. And they didn't mind if I came along. I could observe as a trained doctor of astrobiology and observe. I was so thankful I scheduled right away and let the therapist know I was also going to attend this first visit. We got to the office, and it was in a very, very nice part of the city. And the office was immaculate. The landscaping was perfect. And the building was very welcoming. Mood music was playing. 
and there was a receptionist desk. The receptionist took our information, asked us to fill out a very short form, and then led us to a waiting room. In the waiting room, there was only my friend and myself. And after a few minutes, the door on the other side of the room opened up and a very elegant, eloquent, beautiful young lady, about 32 years old, was on the other side of the door. She was dressed impeccably. She was absolutely gorgeous. It's very rare I speak on a woman's appearance like this, but she was very attractive. She was younger. I don't usually talk to younger women. I think I'm too old for that, but she put me at ease immediately, and I felt the need to speak to her and open up a little bit. It was strange. She was... Well, she just looked absolutely ravishing, beautiful, but not, I wasn't attracted to her in that way. It was more of a, I couldn't take my eyes off of her, from her shoes to the hem of her dress, to her waist, to her perfectly manicured nails. Her hair, her eyes. I was addressing every aspect of her physical appearance and found myself a little bemused and a little embarrassed. I was checking out my friend's therapist. And I wasn't just checking her out, I was mesmerized by her appearance. If I saw her out on the street, I would have, I would have immediately said hello. But in this situation, I must, must keep my candor and my professionalism in check. I closed my eyes and tried not to think of her in a physical way. I was quite embarrassed at myself. I even shook my head. The therapist noticed I shook my head and said, it's okay. I sometimes invoke that reaction. Um, she bluntly asked me, do you, do you find me attractive, Dr. Andrew Michaels? I was stunned. I said, yes, I, I must admit that I do find you quite attractive. I've always been attracted to intelligent, professional women, and you strike me as a, not only a highly intelligent, but well put together specimen of womanhood. You have impeccable taste and you look absolutely amazing. You even smell terrific. I can't believe I just told my friend's therapist that she smells terrific, but... You smell amazing. My tone actually changed. I was hitting on her. She was reacting. Her cheeks automatically blushing. Her eyes darted to the side away from me. 
She rolled her eyes, fluttered her eyelashes. It was a signal. She was signaling me that she was excited and happy that I found her attractive. I was very uncomfortable. I'm a married man. I shouldn't be looking at other women in such a way, and I apologize for my reactions and my lack of professionalism. She said, no, it's okay. It's my fault. I said, okay, first of all, it's never the woman's fault. You're able to dress and carry yourself any way you want. I'm being very crass by commenting on how how absolutely intoxicating and delicious you look. I just realized I said those words. Once more I was stunned. What is wrong with me? Yes, she's an attractive 32-year-old woman, but I'm acting like a complete horse's ass. I'm not some petty juvenile or dirty old man. But I just looked at her deeply into her eyes and said, You know, has anybody ever told you how hot you are? Right then I pinched myself. I, I have little things that I talk taught myself to stop myself from making mistakes with patients or in stressful situations. I literally pinched my side, knocked my mind out of where it was and said, wait a minute, something's going on here. I averted my glaze, gaze. Of course, my eyes drifted down across her entire body all the way to the floor. I'm checking her out again. What is wrong with me? I know something's wrong, and I'm doing it again. I realize then that I'm sitting across from her. She crosses her legs in a very demure way, gets out a notepad, and starts talking to my friend. I'm oogling her. I have to stop looking at her. How did I come to be sitting down? Something isn't right here. Then it dawned on me. She was playing a game with me. I forgot who I was talking to. My friend was opening up like I had never seen them speak before. Completely open, explaining the distress and anxiety in their life, revealing personal secrets I never knew. I wasn't even noticing that they were talking this whole time. I looked down at my watch and realized 25 minutes had passed. <sighs> Loss of time, completely mesmerized, infatuated by this intoxicating intoxicating, gorgeous woman. Dr. Andrew Michaels, you've been seduced by an octopus therapist. When I looked up from my watch, I shook my head and under my breath said, you idiot, shaking my head some more, and my eyes 
caught the eyes of the therapist, who darted me a quick look. She was acting so concerned with my friend, but it was a quick, instantaneous, quick look and a smirking smile. <sighs> the feeling of euphoria, desire, infatuation was passing. Of course an octopus would be able to blend into human society. Even now, deep in the oceans, the octopus can be invisible with its color changing, mimicking abilities. With the spray of its ink, it can blind and hide itself and escape from predators. These intelligent, sentient beings over hundreds of millions of years had evolved a pheromone spray that allowed you, the recipient, to see that which you wanted to see. I looked up as the feeling in the wave of this pheromone spray was fading from my taste buds, from my eyes, and saw that she did look much the same as I thought. She was mimicking the appearance of the perfect female form. But she didn't have that allure she had before. I was free from her grasp. She wanted me to spend the last half of the hour observing her work. I was amazed, free from her spell, to, in a professional way, check her out further and examine both how she mimicked the human form and her method of therapy. My friend, of course, was still deep inside her gaze. The spell she wove around them was still enchanting my friend. And they were still feeling like no time had gone by. At the end of the session, my friend actually stopped and took a drink of water. The water seemed to break what was left of the spell. I'm sure she knew exactly how much pheromone to spread out to get the reaction she wanted. My friend was relieved shook her hand and thanked her for the most amazing therapy session of their life and turned to leave. The therapist thanked my friend and... Well, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Thanked my friend in return and then said that she wanted to speak for a moment with me before I left. As my friend parted, the door closed. The appearance of the octopus therapist completely changed. Now it was an older, middle-aged man looking back at me. So, I fooled you, didn't I? They said. And I say they, because...
because I have no idea if this octopus was a male or a female. But now it was presenting perfectly as a male version of our species, a Sigmund Freud look-alike. Well, you certainly did fool me, and I was trapped inside your gaze. Thank you for letting me out of it. I was quite disturbed by my overt male reactions to your appearance. I'm not usually like that. The octopus therapist thanked me and said that if I ever wanted a special session where I could learn more about the sentient beings that are the octopus humanoids that walk among us, they would be glad to teach me more of their ways. But they are still secretive about how those ways work. I did mention the ink and pheromone spray, the mimicking. They said, you're, you're right on some levels, but wrong on others. Some of it's biological, some of it's science. Science to the level of magic, but science nonetheless. I took that as my cue to leave, but not only that, I knew there was so much more to learn from this species. We shook hands and we parted ways. On the drive home, my friend was so refreshed and reinvigorated to speak to the perfect person about your problems. To speak to somebody who absolutely knew exactly what you were going through. I don't know what my friends saw, but it was clear they didn't see a young 32-year-old professional woman. I didn't ask because I really didn't want to know what my friend's idea of perfection was, but it was different than mine. I found that so strange and odd, wanting to know what their idea of perfection was, but yet I felt, I felt like I was a voyeur by asking, by knowing, in knowing I took something away from them. So I left it at that. If you ever get a chance to go to an octopus therapist, take it. They won't keep you as a patient for long, but they will heal you. They will make you feel better. They are the perfect therapist. And now, before I get to the last story, a quick word from our pastry chef, Milo. He's about to make an announcement over the intercoms. Let's humor him and let him do his routine. It's quite interesting, but he does have some amazing safety tips for protecting yourself from Bigfoot. Let's have a listen. 
Hi, I'm Milo. Welcome to the Don't Get Yourself Ate by Bigfoot Corner, featuring me, Milo. It's my corner. I'm here to tell you how to not get ate by Bigfoot. Now, in the week since a Bigfoot was spotted at the waterfall, I've been doing some research. Most reputable sources will tell you that Bigfoots, or Big Feet, I'm not entirely sure how the Bigfoots prefer to be addressed. I haven't spoken to one about their respectability politics, but if any Bigfoots are listening, I'd like you to know that from the very bottom of my heart, I do respect you. And if you're willing to do an interview about proper terms and pronouns, you know where to find me. I'm at the camp you invaded. Anyway, most reputable sources will tell you that Bigfoots aren't dangerous to humans. They're very rarely spotted in nature by humans. But clearly, all of us poor lost souls at this camp are not in a typical situation. Since not only did we spot Bigfoot, but we were witness to an instance of a Bigfoot's violence, or at least aggression. Now, the receptionist and Dr. Michaels will tell you that the Bigfoot did not mean us any harm, because if it had wanted to hit us, it would have. But I always say, there's no better defense than self-defense. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I just mean, be prepared, like some Boy Scout stuff. Anyway, I've been talking too long. Here's some survival tips to help you not get yourself ate by a Bigfoot. Tip number one. If you see a Bigfoot, evacuate the area. I'm not kidding. The best way to not get yourself ate by a Bigfoot is to avoid Bigfoots. I don't know why any of us are even still here. I mean, I'm not going to leave, but my mama always told me that I had a constitutional inability to stay out of trouble, which I inherited from my pops, of course. Tip number two. If you're backed up into a corner or you also have a constitutional inability to stay out of trouble, you can try throwing rocks in the direction of the Bigfoot. Now, in the interest of not angering the Bigfoot, I wouldn't throw a rock at the Bigfoot in particular. Just, you know, in its general direction, or whatever, to scare it off. My sources say that people who throw rocks to intimidate Bigfoots are generally not ate by them. Although, of course, if you did throw a rock at a Bigfoot and you got ate, I wouldn't have any way of knowing that. Tip number three. If you can't evacuate, and there aren't any good rocks or rock-like objects around, Try karate. It seems from what I've read on the internet 
that pepper spray and guns don't seem to discourage Bigfoots very much, at least when they're trying to eat you. So you can try to do some karate. It seems to me that your most reliable source of defense is your own hands. Now, if a Bigfoot has made up its mind to eat you, it's necessarily going to put itself into a compromising position. No matter what the people with big heads, pun not intended, but definitely appreciated, on the internet are going to try to tell you, we don't actually know much about Bigfoot biology. Well, I guess Dr. Michaels might know about it, but I don't. And if you're looking up Bigfoot defense tips on the internet, you probably don't know much more than me. So we really don't know the vulnerable spots on a Bigfoot. But it's a pretty safe bet that the inside of the mouth is vulnerable, as it is with most mammals. So here's my top tip for if you're actively being eaten by a Bigfoot. Grab its tongue. You're definitely going to die anyway, but it might earn you a couple of seconds. And at least you'll die knowing what Bigfoot's tongue feels like. And how many people can say that? Well, I suppose we wouldn't know, because they're dead. But I'd imagine it's a pretty exclusive club. This has been Milo's Very Helpful Don't Get Yourself Ate by a Bigfoot Corner with me, Milo. Thanks for hanging out with me. And to anyone listening out there, I hope you don't get yourself ate by Bigfoot. Oh, also, the receptionist would like me to say, if you do see a Bigfoot, please notify either her or Dr. Michaels. They're very interested in Bigfoots. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of your time here at camp. I'd like to thank Milo for his important public service announcement. You know, it's not easy getting up in front of people and speaking, especially a whole camp of ASMR enthusiasts like yourselves. It's very brave to do that, and I'm very grateful that Milo has donated his services to better the camp's environment. And I do think we've had a lot of fun so far, but I've got to dive into a very, very spooky, ugly, scary campfire story for you now. I don't want to do it, but I feel like need to go there for you. Wrap yourself tight in your blankets. Inch a little closer to the fire. Look around, make sure you're in the light. Don't worry, there's nothing in the dark that isn't there in the light. The difference is you can't see it in the dark. <laughs> When we bought 
camp ASMR back in 2012. The world was so new to the environment and the, even the concept of ASMR. People didn't understand it. They thought it was some kind of weird witchcraft, some kind of strange, demonic magic. We came to the camp and started taking over the running of the day-to-day maintenance. And I had Marvin helping me back then. He was in charge, of course, of the kitchen. It was a good job for him. Kept him busy. Kept his mind occupied. He flourished at cooking. And he had a few workers from the past camp's ownership offer their services, and we gladly rehired everyone that wanted to stay on. And then we slowly weeded out the ones that obviously didn't fit in. And most of them were very good employees, but we had this strange dishwasher who worked in the kitchen. He would always mumble and gripe and very standoffish. Well, one day he came in and he had a sort of violent outburst with Marvin. It was so out of character, but nothing that we couldn't fix. We just had to get to the bottom of what was bothering this young man. And we found out that he believed that ASMR was some kind of evil devil worship or maybe witchcraft, and he was so confused in his thinking. We asked him to get help, to read about it, to study, to talk to me and others who practiced ASMR, and that was absolutely the worst suggestion I could make. He ran out of my office and immediately left the camp site. He was burning rubber as he said, I'm out of here. You're all a bunch of devil worshippers. Well, we paid him for the full day's work. It was only a few hours left in the day, and we mailed him his last check. We assumed that was the last we'd ever see of this young man. We did put in a call to his house, telling him he was welcome to come back and discuss things, and we didn't want to leave it that way. We never heard back. About three days later, I got a call over one of our handheld walkie-talkies. We have them positioned in different parts of the camp, and Marvin had one in the kitchen. And he could call for help, and that way we could get uh, immediate assistance to him. Um, You never know when you're going to have a grease fire or... uh, choking victim at the uh, dining hall. Marvin said we had to get down there right away. And he thought it was an emergency, but he wasn't sure. I walked in to the kitchen area with a couple members of the security team and... (sighs) 
encountered that same young man who had quit a few days earlier, holding a shotgun to Marvin's back. Marvin, of course, had his arms up in the air, and the rest of the cooking staff was being held hostage as well. I said, don't you think this qualifies as an emergency, Marvin? And he replied that he wasn't sure. He just didn't want to antagonize anyone, and he kind of pointed behind him with his finger. The young man immediately noticed and said, No secret hand signals. I know you're trying to speak to each other in your weird tongues. This poor young man was so disturbed. We didn't know what to do with him. I decided to try to talk to him. I have extensive education and knowledge of the Christian religion, and I thought maybe I could reach him, talk to him, and I tried to reach out to the young man. And he said that he'd never seen anything like this in church. He'd seen a lot of things, but nothing like this. And this ASMR thing, it, it made his head feel funny. It frightened him. It scared him. It had to be evil. There was something wrong with it. We were trying to hypnotize him, to, to control him, warp his mind. He was obviously disturbed. I asked him if he had, if he had had um, any medical treatment for any conditions, and we slowly started peeling it out of him that he refused to see a doctor. You know, medicine was bad. You're not going to do anything to alter my perceptions. We couldn't tell if this boy had a mental illness, which would be tragic. Or if he was just disturbed, sheltered, indoctrinated into some strange worldview. We couldn't really pin him down because he was very evasive, very frightened. But he kept going on and on about the end times and the world's going to end. And these are signs. All these things are signs. You're starting this camp with this new wave witchcraft mysticism, this this evil, demonic, everything in this was negative coming out of his mouth, and it was frightening. He actually cocked his shotgun, chambered a shell. He was furious, lathering at the mouth. You could tell he had extreme views. He didn't appear to be on drugs. He didn't appear to have any obvious mental illness. He was convinced he was a Christian warrior, a handler of snakes, a drinker of poison, a speaker of tongues, that speaking in tongues to him was a heaven-sent gift to mankind, and that us, causing these ASMR tingle reactions in people's scalps, was somehow no, it couldn't be from God. It had to be demonic. I assure you, he told us, it's demonic. It's from the devil. It's from the devil. And he kept going on about his righteousness and his perfection in it and how he sought to be closer to God, that he was without sin, that he carried his life accordingly, that he was 
one of God's righteous chosen warriors, and that killing all of us, evil Satanists, would put him closer to the throne of God. This delusion was a little too much, and I immediately leaned in and said, Look, you, you're threatening people. You're going you're gonna to scare somebody. You're going to hurt somebody. You're going to hurt yourself. And he pulled the gun up and said, Don't come closer. Don't you dare come closer to me, you possessed, evil creature. He was trying not to, to say something. And all of a sudden, it was like he couldn't hold it in anymore. He said, God. Damn you! God damn you, you filthy, filthy, filthy hypnotist! God damn you, Dr. Andrew Michaels! And right then, there was a thump. The whole, the whole building shook. Our dining hall was a solid, concrete-floored building. There was a thump. It felt like the ground shook beneath us. He raised the shotgun, thank goodness, and discharged the round. It was just a shocking reaction to the ground moving beneath his feet. Luckily, no one was hurt. Bits of plasterboard and ceiling tile fell down. But otherwise, everybody was unharmed. Marvin dove behind him, so he was between myself and Marvin when it happened. The floor beneath him suddenly rippled like waves, like, I don't know, the ripples of a fire, and the ground beneath him burst open to a cacophony of screams and yells and awful, awful sounds, screeching sounds of creatures in pain. A dozen or so thick, long tentacles with serpents' heads at the top of them, octopus arms with serpent heads, swept up from the hole that had opened beneath the young man and swirled around his body, wrapping around his arms, his legs, his neck, his face, his mouth wide open, screaming, gasping for air. There were several tentacles around his torso, squeezing the air from his lungs, stretching him from his ankles, his arms out, in every direction. He was screaming, and suddenly, in a burst of movement, the arms literally shred him apart, tore him limb from limb, his arms, his legs, his head decapitated. His torso rotated sideways, spilling volumes of blood, water, and bile from its interior. The arms squeezing his midsection, squeezing it until his heart erupted from the bottom and spilt onto the floor amongst the arms, disappearing in the void opened beneath him. His body squeezed, squeezed like a lemon until there was nothing left and the arms pulled in, slid down into the hole below, 
blow and it closed up over the shotgun spinning on top of the concrete Marvin fell to his knees fell onto the hole itself in utter shock scrambling to pick up the gun and touching the floor for weak spots but it was solid again there was no sign that anything had ever happened. Marvin pulled back the gun and slid it all the way against the wall, a safe distance away. Others ran over and picked it up. He was shocked. He stood up and looked at me. He couldn't believe what had happened. I said, I guess that's what you get for being a blasphemer using the Lord's name in vain. That was one of the most shocking things I've ever seen. He wanted to be close to God, but I think in his cursing of God, he put himself a little bit on the opposite end of things. We were all trying to take it in. It was the shock of a lifetime seeing something so horrific and Marvin stood up and said, Oh, thank goodness I'm an atheist. I wouldn't want anything like that to happen to me. I don't know if you get that. It's not much of a joke. But I had to lighten it up somehow. <laughs> you enjoyed these stories I know they were strange and odd and creepy and weird I hope you enjoyed the safety tips from Milo try to get some sleep don't be afraid of peeping toms don't be afraid of monsters in the night You'll always be safe here in Camp ASMR. Well, you should be. <laughs> What's that? What? Hang on, I've, I've got to go take care of something. I'll be right back. What is it? There's been a peeping Tom incident. You've got to be kidding me. No, take me there right now. Take me to the cabins. Let's walk over there. You've got to be kidding me. What has happened here? Somebody was looking in your window? It wasn't a Bigfoot, right? Let's check the tracks. There was definitely a man outside your window. Get some photographs of those shoes. We're going to get to the bottom of this. I think he works or lives here. Hmm. But we have checked the staff and their shoes. It doesn't match, does it? 
Several matched the shoe's size, but not exactly. Hmm. But those prints, that muddy footprint, that's clearly one or possibly two different Sasquatch. Why would the Sasquatch come this close into camp? Why would the Sasquatch sneak up on a peeping Tom? What is going on here? We're definitely missing something. The aggression of this Bigfoot is getting out of hand. We're going to have to put a stop to it. And we have the remote camping trip next week. I can't be taking campers up into the remote hills of Ohio and risk anything happening to them. I, I didn't want to do this, but I want all the men armed for that trip. No, 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 no handguns, just rifles. That'll work. Preferably shotguns. They get the job done. They don't need a big, no, no, no big calibers. I think we should take Marvin and Christopher with us, too. I'm going to keep a closer eye on them, and we could use the extra help. They have to bring food up anyway, so why not just have them cook while they're there? Milo can handle everything here while we're gone. He's been doing a great job. I'm sure my assistant will keep an eye on Milo and make sure he doesn't get too crazy with his pastry chef duties. All right, so it's all sorted now. Let's get some of these photos. Let's try and figure out what's going on and get everybody back to sleep. We can't have this Bigfoot coming this close into, into our camp. This is just not normal. And now there's two of them. That one's clearly a juvenile. Something is going on here. And we've got to get to the bottom of it. And get to the bottom of it right away. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huevo. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash Tirar de Huevo. The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuello at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you. <laughs>